Hi, my name's Nicola Thomas and you're listening to The Sniff. Now, one of the things I love most about recording this podcast is getting to speak to some fascinating people who I might otherwise not have dared to talk to. I think today's guest most definitely falls into that category and I'm having to try really hard not to go all fangirlish over him. He's the perfumer behind the brand Matière Première, but also a vast array of blockbuster scents, including perfumes for Galan, Gucci, David Beckham, Isimayake, Narciso Rodriguez, Nina Ricci, Tommy Hilfiger and many, many, many more. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Aurelien Guichard to the podcast. Hi Aurelien. Hello Nicola. Thank you so much for joining us and I promise to try and keep myself from squealing with excitement too much at least while we're on the air. Um, So Aurelien, from what I understand you come from a family who were around the perfume industry already, first as growers and then as perfumers. Was it always a definite that you would go into the industry yourself? It wasn't. In fact, I wanted to study perfumery and to learn perfumery when I turned 17 years old. What did you want to do before that? I suppose I wanted to work with different cultures, with people coming from different parts of the world. I actually studied in in England, in Bristol, and I grew up in a family, as you said, where people were perfumers or sculptors. And I actually thought that creating perfume was probably the best way to interact with people from other countries. Uh, to build stories together and to go towards people with different cultures. That's really what drove me to become a perfumer. Mm. And I think that was probably very sensible of you because perfume does seem to be a really amazing way to connect people. And that's one of the things that I love about it is the storytelling and the, the connections with people. Exactly. I think one of the most beautiful things is to develop something with someone where you have a common vision or you actually work at the service of someone who's from a different culture and to find a common sensibility and to come up with, as much as we can, come up with something unique and that we find beautiful and hoping that there will be people out there who will appreciate that. Mm. And... When you began your journey into into the industry, given that you came from this lineage that had perfumery in its blood, did you think there was additional pressure on you to be really good at it, um, or was that an advantage? To you know, was that an advantage over somebody who was coming into the industry completely new without any prior family ties to it? I would say a little bit of both. On the one hand, I grew up with a father who was a perfumer, so I could see the good side and the bad side of of this work. I could also feel the happiness and the sadness related to this work. So somehow I would say that when I started to be willing to, to study perfumery and to become a perfumer, I knew ahead the beautiful side of the work and the less and the more complicated one. But I would say that when you start to study perfumery, and I remember in my case, I was worried about one thing, never creating any fragrance that were launched. And so it was a relief for me when at the age of 23, right away after getting out of the school, I signed my first fragrance because I thought, okay, (laughs) I've done one at least. Yeah. 
And, 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 and finally, just to conclude, I think I was surrounded by people in my family who cherish perfumery and cherish creation. So growing up with people who work with a certain ethic, with a certain conception of this work, doesn't put pressure on you, but just give you a certain road to follow. And certainly you don't do the same thing as your parents, but when you've been inspired by people who did, who did their art in a certain way with a certain philosophy, and you admire that, you try to follow this, I would say, in a certain way, this ethic and this conception of your, of your art. Mm. Yeah. And how would you characterize or describe your own personal style? I, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm often asked, actually, but, you know, when I work for different designers, my role, and I love this role, is to be at the service of those, of those people. And someone will tell you, I want a fragrance to smell like this or that. Yes, this is about ingredients. But the way you write the story, the way you write the formula, what happened between the lines, what happened between the ingredients, that's what matters. Is you know When you write a story, it's not only the words that count, it's the way the story flows. And a perfume is kind of the same. And when I work for Matière Première, I'm not at the service of anyone, but I'm at the service of the raw material. It's almost, I suppose, there's a chameleon element perhaps then to a professional perfumer like yourself taking on the style of a brand or working in the service of the raw materials. Perhaps that's the way we should think about it. Exactly. I think when you develop a fragrance, you start with an idea. But then the style and the way you write your formula has to have some similarities with the person you work for. If you work for a couturier who is very much into details, who is very much into small things, I believe the fragrance should have this kind of detailed, small quantity of ingredients and refinement in the details. If you work for someone who works with clean cuts, sharp angles, the formulas and the ingredients you, should, you choose should reflect this. So the formula will be simple with sharp ingredients. And at the opposite, if you work with someone who likes round, curvy, I would say comfortable cuts, then the formula has to reflect this as well. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And the training that people undergo to become noses is one of the things that my listeners tell me um, that they find really interesting over and over again. Could you tell us a bit about your experiences of training to become a nose and what that was like and some of the exercises maybe that you did in order to gain your skill set? Yes, to me, it was a fascinating experience. First, because it took all over my life. When I stepped into that perfumery school, even though I grew up with perfumers, even though I grew up with ingredients, because my grandparents were growing ingredients for perfumery, when I stepped into the perfumery school, a whole world was opening to me. And it was, to me, a bit like learning a new language. There was nothing creative about it. It was just about learning by art, ingredients by ingredients, just like you learn words when you learn a language. When I learned perfumery, I was 20, 21, I think 20 years old. And that was three years after arriving in England. 
when at the time I remember learning English. And when you learn the language, you learn the words, you forget them, you hear them, you learn them again. And after a while, they are part of you. Ingredients are the same. For three years along, I learned all the raw materials. I learned, I forgot some of them, I relearned, and I was tested every day. I did the, perfu the perfumist school of Givaudan, which was an amazing school with uh, other students. We were three of us. Uh, two were, uh, two, both were foreigners. I had the, actually we were four. There was one guy from Canada and two guys, and uh, one guy and a woman from India. And it was fascinating to see how from different cultures, we had different feelings about the ingredients. Because when you learn, you need to build and to write down personal experience that will remind you this, this ingredient. And that I thought was also an amazing experience to learn so much that after a while, it's part of you and you won't forget them ever. <laughs> Do you dream in sense ever? No, not really. It's a strange thing, that. No, in, but in fact, to me, sense will print a moment. And it's more the moment that I will remember that the scent. But whenever I will smell the scent again, I will go back to that moment. So it's only a way of communicating and of making a moment memorable, I feel or a period of your life memorable, if it's a fragrance. Yeah. And you and your family founded a Rose Centifolia farm. Now, a lot of people will never have experienced a farm like that. So could you describe the farm for us a and tell us a little bit about it, please? So in fact, the, sto the story started uh, way before me. My grandparents were growing jasmine, Rose Centifolia, and Verbena Ingras. Um, and in 2015, my mother was getting, my grandmother was getting really old. And I decided to open a second farm, my own farm, totally organic. Uh, I was lucky enough to have my father was in the region also, because I'm actually spreading my time between Paris and Grasse. And we plant, we decided to plant Rose Santifolia. It's only two years later, because I loved this experience, that I decided to found Matière Première. And the philosophy behind this organic farm for Rose Santifolia was just a simple dream, to be the only perfumer in the world, to grow his own ingredients, and to use them in his fragrances. But at first, I didn't really plan to grow the ingredient to create Matière Première. I was just wanting to grow ingredients and to use them in my fragrances that I was developing for other people. And, you know, we started with Rose Santifolia. Last year, we planted some tubereuse. Uh, soon, I hope we'll do uh, maybe jasmine, lavender. And I really felt that ingredients and sourcing was really part of the work of a perfumer because after 20 years of formulating for people, I felt I wanted to do more than just creating formulas. I wanted to have a link to nature. That's how it happened. Mm. It sounds like a wonderful place. It is. So when it comes to the harvest each year, what's that like? Is it something that you look forward to? Of course, it's, we look forward to it. But it's, in fact, when you do the harvest, you just collect the work that you've done for a year. 
in in February we cut the trees, you know, so that they get strong uh, for the average season, so that the rose will bloom. Uh, at some other moments, uh, we make sure that you know the, they are healthy. So there's all, all kind of work to be done all year long to collect the roses in May. The harvest lasts for 30 days, and every morning we have uh, pickers or harvester who come and pick up the roses that bloom in the morning. And it's amazing because you know nature is really precise because it does last really for 30 days not 32 days not 26 days 30 days and 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 it's incredible because we actually after you know the the pickers come maybe at eight in the morning and they will do the average during five or six hours and at the end of every average every day we get a certain quantity of bags full of rose centifolia and the smell is incredible. But again, as I said before, what I remember of this is not the smell so much. It's the, mo- it's the moment that I remember. Mm. It sounds utterly spellbinding. <laughs> <laughs> now, you create fragrances both for other brands, obviously, and for your own brand, Matière Première. How does the creation process for both different types of um, fragrance differ? So uh, when I work for designers, I will try to find either an icon or someone that to me will reflect perfectly the house I work for. So it can be someone famous, it can be an icon, or it can be just someone in the street where I can see a gesture or a way to say something. And I will say, okay, this is what I want to translate. And of course, it, this will go hand in hand with a project that was given to me by the designer or by the, by the marketing team. Now, for Matière Première, it's a different approach. My will was to show to people how beautiful the ingredients that I have on my palette are. Because I feel that quite often, fragrances are extremely complex. Ingredients are very much mixed in a very sophisticated way but you cannot really feel the quality and the texture of the simple ingredient. So for Matière Première, I overdose one main ingredient. So there's a work of sourcing to make sure I pick the right quality because one ingredient can be produced in different parts of the world. When it's produced and when it's collected, it can be extracted by different means and different ways by different people So I need to select the perfect starting ingredient. And then people may not realize that, but one natural ingredient is already a formula. A natural rose, for example, has different facets, floral, fruity, woody, resinous, honey, spicy, you know, hundreds of different facets. I mean, hundreds is maybe extreme, but many different facets. My role for Matière Première is to amplify certain facets diminish other so that with that simplicity it becomes a fragrance and it becomes wearable enjoyable by people and they can feel the texture of the overdose of the main ingredient Mm. and and really this approach that i don't create for experts is very important because i strongly believe that whether you are an expert or you are not an expert 
you should be able to identify to identify what's qualitative and what's not. You don't need to be an expert for that. Mm. Yeah. And across your incredibly extensive back catalogue of creations, which fragrance was the most challenging for you to create and why was that? I, I wouldn't say there's one. Usually the most challenging thing when you work for a designer is the first creation. I tend to work for long years with the same designers, whether it's with uh, Mr. Issey Narciso Rodriguez, many, many others. But it's the more we work together, the more we know each other. And the more I can feel the sensibility of the person and what eventually he may like or dislike. So it's usually the first fragrance that I create where I would say it's a bit more random because you may like the, like the fragrance or you may just create something that doesn't please the person you work for. And it's something that I like also this part because it's an excitement when someone out of the blue picks a creation of yours and says, that's what I want to put in a bottle. It's, it's you know, to me, it's like a, I live a dream because I work with people that are extremely talented and when someone actually likes my work, I feel the most happy person in the world, of course. And as you do one development, one fragrance, a second one, a third one, you get to know the, the, the test or maybe I would say the texture of, of the fragrance the, the designer may like. And that becomes another exercise, very interesting as well. But, the, you know, we also work with marketing teams. So there's more brainstorming because you are more part of the identity of the brand because you've made all the creations. Mm. Sort of related to that, really. But what was it like the first time that you were walking down the street and you walked past somebody who was wearing one of your perfumes? What You know, what was that moment like for you? <laughs> uh, yes, it was pleasant. It was... Uh, it's a bit of, a bit of a shock even you know but, but but i remember the most amazing thing that i remember in my career and i i, I insist on saying that because to me it's part of the beauty of of my work when, when i was 23 i was a young perfumer there was um, a woman at uh, guerlain called sylvaine de la courte and, and another woman at Nina Ricci, Marjorie Barbespetti, who actually trust me to create their fragrances when I was 23. And I think that's also, you know, we can say that perfumers are creative, designers are creative, but there's also some really creative and crazy people to trust young, young, young perfumers to create uh, fragrances for amazing, amazing fragrance house. And so I think the beauty of creation is not just the story of the perfumer, it's also the person he works with. And it's something that really, to me, marked my career to meet people who actually trusted me when I, when I didn't create any fragrances before. And I think it's great to trust young perfumers <laughs> that are way younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> now, Talking about Matière Première, 
Matteo Premier has got some incredible creations, which, have, as you've said, showcase a specific material and really allow that star player to shine. My personal favourite is Ensign's Suave, which I've got my little bottle of it here and I'm wearing it today. Um, and I, I find it so incredibly addictive and Moorish and sort of delectable. Could you tell us a little bit about that perfume, please, and how it came to be and what made you pick the resin incense from Somalia over any other type that was available? So first of all, the little bottle, as you say, are the bottles that every perfumer use around the world to do their development process. And so the, the reason why I'm saying that is we try to make things as true as possible, close to the reality of a perfumer. And being on my on my desk at my position, I will smell different incense. You know, when you talk about incense, most of them come from the region of Somalia anyway. But you get resin incense, incense oil, Ensemble Vieille Église, which smells very churchy-like. I selected this incense from Somalia because it was very powerful, but somehow refined. There was a mixture of freshness, vibrancy, and it was like, to me, the typical resinous smell that you get in incense. Now, the creative idea, because, you know, at Matière Première, we don't talk about top, mid, and dry notes we talk about a creative idea one main ingredient and a creative process creative idea was to create to create a carnal addictive incense so the creative approach was actually to find ingredients that were counterbalancing the dryness and the smokiness that you can get in incense and incense for some people can seem cold very vertical vibrant but I wanted to give the feeling of this incense when you burn it, when you have a flame on it and it's incandescent. So I, I picked some warm ingredient to counterbalance this kind of cold, vibrant character of the incense. I picked a vanilla absolute from Madagascar because, you know, they, in order to obtain the vanilla absolute, they let the bean dry under the sun for weeks. So it, it, somehow it smells the sun, it smells the skin, it smells central. I also played with some coffee extract because it has a roasted quality. Again, it brings warmth into, into the fragrance. And the result is, was to have this addictive incense that was incense but smooth and at the same time. So again, it's a work of texture. And that's really at the heart of Matière Première. And what we like is the fact that People, when they smell our fragrance, it smells what I say. And that's really something we try to, we, we think it's fun to appreciate a fragrance when you understand what you wear. Mm. The image I get sometimes when I wear it is of a kind of empowerment. There's something about it that I find quite empowering. And it makes me think of gathering together all the detritus of a relationship. So when you've broken up with somebody and they've left stuff at your house and you get a really nice coffee and you set fire to it all and you think, yeah, I've cleared that out. That's This is the start of the next phase of my life and I feel good. It's got, it has that sort of quality about it to me. It's uplifting and it's um, a kind of cleansing flame and a, yeah, it's, it's, um, obliterating but in a really positive way i love what you say 
I tell you why, because you know the reason why our descriptions are very factual is because we truly believe that each one of us should make his own interpretation, its own story behind the fragrance. So we don't talk about my inspiration. We talk about factual thing, what we try to do. And each one of us will build memories, will build moments related to this, uh, to, to, to the sense. Yeah. Um, and you've got a new one coming out, haven't you? Um, you're about to launch a, a special scent exclusively to Harrods. Could you tell us a little bit about that one? What, what, what did you think of it? Can you tell me a little bit? I haven't tried it yet, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're launching a oud for our roads. Uh, it's um, oud seven, and and the idea was really to create a oud that was reflecting the warmth, the depth, and the richness of a oud, without being a typical oud. And you know, we of course I do my best to propose unique and creative ideas. And the oud was very challenging because when the name of your, your fragrance house is matière première, which means raw material, it has to smell the, raw, the main raw material. I've selected uh, an incredible oud called oud asafi. It's a very dark, intense oud. And what I like about it is this kind of dark, sensual quality of it. So I've combined it with violet leaf to get almost like a leathery quality to it. And the result really of the fragrance, when if, if you try it, it's really about this kind of sensual, but somehow easy to wear hood, but yet powerful. Mm, that sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying <laughs> it now. <laughs> in, in fact, you, you, you know, sorry to, 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 to carry on with seven. When we, we created it, I mean, the ideas that I had, and when I created it, was to also associate to this oud other ingredients that were faceting the oud, but that was preserving its olfactive nature. You have touches of patchouli, you have hints of cipriole. You have different facets that will actually amplify and complexify the oud. Mm. And it, it's a, um, a kind of a raw material which has had an enduring popularity over the last few years, isn't it? So I'm... I'm sure it's going to be very well received that, I can imagine. Um, maybe, I don't know. I Fingers hope crossed. so. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. To me, to, to me the, the beauty of the oud is, you know, being from grass, of course, the oud doesn't grow over there. So it's really an evocation of far away. There's something very mysterious, but at the same time, very modern, rich and um, fascinating. Mm. Which of the matière première scents are you most proud of? Well, honestly, I am the most proud of uh, Radical Rose. Um, because Radical Rose is actually the result of many things, you know, growing your own ingredients as a perfumer, um, creating a fragrance with the highest dosage ever of Rose Santifolia in a bottle. We, you know, our fragrances are colored because of the quality of the raw materials. We don't put any colorant. When you look at Radical Rose, many people around us love rose and they love Radical Rose, but we also have many people who do not like rose 
and they love radical rose because we, I wanted to create a cool rose. And when you use an overdose of rose centifolia, of course, there's a beautiful facets about it, but there's also drawbacks. There's something that can be a bit old, a bit honey-like, and my work has been to diminish this and to make a cool rose, to make a modern rose yet very powerful, very diffusive, without being too opulent. And I think Radical Rose falls in that category of uniqueness and extreme quality. And we see people like it. And I feel very proud of working with Caius and Cédric on this project and having the, the luck to be a perfumer and to create fragrances with my own Rose Santifolia. So this is to me very special with Radical Rose. Yeah, definitely. When you start at the beginning of composing... Are there any rituals or specific processes that you go through that are unique to you to get you, you know, get get you started with that composition? I I don't know if it's unique to me, but I've always been told that you need to have an idea before to write a formula. What do you want to express, and what do you want people around you that are non-experts? to feel or to share once you get this idea which is a primal idea you need to find ingredients to express this idea and this process of translating an idea and finding an ingredient to me is key it's the base of the story it's the base of the you know when you write a music you have something that comes back all the time and this relies to the ingredient for a perfume, the main ingredients. So I will go through this process and make different calls around the world to different producers. I will also smell, of course, all the beautiful ingredients that I have in my fragrance house at Takazako in Paris. And I will select one for its olfactive quality, just as it is. And I will put a huge ingredient in my formula. That is my first line, a huge quantity. And then I will think, okay, what ingredient could I associate to that main ingredient to embellish it? And so every line is a creative process. So every line will count. And I will try to stick to a short number of lines and to get the idea right. And then, I, of course, I wear it. And a good perfume to me is a perfume that people will smell, that will have a great diffusion, but that won't be overwhelming. There's this, you know, I, I grew up with a perfume of the 80s that were beautiful masterpieces, opium, fracas uh, uh, was created way before, but I remember this amazing fragrance. My father created Lulu, La Nuit, Opium, uh, Poison. All those fragrances had a huge trail, and I love this. But I feel that you can also work today by preserving those trail, this trail, but adding a kind of modernity by not being too overwhelming at the same time. And somehow, the fact that the fragrance is not sweet and fruity, because I don't like those notes, um, the fact that people understand what they wear will make them accept to wear this overdose. And overdosing one ingredient is very different from overdosing many ingredients. 
because we res I really try to respect the texture of one my first ingredient. <laughs> but it's a little long, but I would say this is a real specification of my formulation. And how do you know when a perfume is finished? <laughs> when when you don't manage to make a better mud. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we, we we have this like when you are a perfumer compared to a sculptor or a painter is that we can come back to the previous modifications and stopping formulating is also a creative act <laughs> to say that's how it is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a common misconception about what it is like to be a perfumer that you would like to correct? A common misconception. I think there are plenty of different ways to become a perfumer and to be a perfumer. I think we live in a world where people tend to think there's one way and one, one way of formulating, one way of being, one way of learning. There are many different ways and paths to become a perfumer. I see my friend uh, Francis Curjean, Alberto Morillas, uh, Jérôme Di Marino, Olivier Pechot. All of them had different learning, different different ways. So I think the beauty of it is diversity. The beauty of this work is diversity. The beauty of fragrance is to have diverse kind of fragrance, and there's not. I don't believe in one global test. I don't believe in prediction for what people will like when it comes to masterpiece. And I think we don't control creations and we don't control what people will like. And that's also the beauty of it. You know, I, I truly think that our days, uh, there's a trend of trying to say that we can do, I don't know how you call it, uh, artificial intelligence or things like that. I, I believe more in human sensibility and I believe more in mistakes and I believe more in uniqueness that some people will like. But again, there's room for everything and I don't pretend to know. I'm sure there are great things that will arise from technology, but I think we need to keep diversity. Mm. I think that's a... a good um lesson for us all really and that's the end of my, sen my what i call my sensible questions and now i've got a few fun quick fire questions so it's just whatever comes off the top of your head first so some of these might be a bit tricky uh what's your favorite smell <laughs> rose what smells do you dislike the non-smell if you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? I would go in the future and smell what I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's a tricky answer. <laughs> uh, what do you think fear smells like? Fear smells cold. What smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? The smell of jasmine. When I was a little kid... My grandfather was compounding jasmine in August and he was actually looking after all the pickers and at 11 o'clock in the morning, they were finishing harvesting and everyone was gathering around a little house where inside there was a, a balance where it was, where you, there was a mix of smell of the flowers, 
the bags where they pick up the flowers, the clay on the ground, and the petrol of the of the machines. And there was something amazing about it. And when I go back to this little house, now that my father passed away 20 years ago, I can re I can really smell what it was like, even though the flowers and the people are not there anymore. <laughs> mm, that's incredible. Yeah, it's so powerful. What fragrance are you wearing right now? Uh, I'm wearing a confidential fragrance that I'm developing that I can't say about. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, what does summer smell of? Summer smells like uh, pastis for me. <laughs> Holidays, actually. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite food smell? Mm, all kind of foods. Uh, Indian food. Indian food. I love Indian food. I actually like British food. It's, uh, but it smells uh, generous always. Uh, what smell reminds you of school? Pencil, the wood, cedar wood. And if scientists were able to invent a smellophone that would allow you to smell or show a smell to whoever you were calling, who would you ring? I would ring my father, who is a perfumer. <laughs> of course, yeah. And, and finally, if people want to know more about Matière Première, where should we send them? You can send them anywhere where there's a cool store. Uh, you know, of course, you can go to Arrowhead. You can go to different di- different point of sales where I feel people share the same perception of fragrances. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Aurelian. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you and I've really, really enjoyed myself. Thank you again. Thank you, Nicola. It's a pleasure. The Sniff Perfume Podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at the Sniff website or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the sniff. Our guest today was Aurelien Guichot from Matière Premier Perfumes and Takasago. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature either Aurelian, those brands or their work. Thanks very much for listening.